Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for Your Daily Drive. Your Daily Drive is the podcast where I put my article content into an audio format. If you want to read any of our articles, you're welcome to do that. Go to our our website and you can read them. The title of today's podcast and the article, How to Care for the Professional Victim. Thinking like a victim is easy to do. We all have been there. We all have done that. It's a part of our Adamic problem. But becoming a professional victim takes more work. But it can happen, especially if you've experienced repeated hurt for an extended period. You will become bitter. You'll become a cynic. And you'll eventually harden your heart. And that's really what I want to talk about today, how we harden our hearts. And I want to come from Hebrews chapter 3. That talks about how we need to hear God's voice. And if we don't hear God's voice or don't respond correctly to God's voice, we we will not only be tempted to become hardened, but you can turn into one of those bitter, cynical people who, who becomes what I'm calling here a professional victim. And so you don't want to do that. But I want to title, I've titled this podcast How to Care for the Professional victim because if a person is a professional victim, they don't see it. Their hearts are already hardened. And so it would be a miracle, and I trust that a miracle would happen, that a professional victim would listen to this podcast and God would be so merciful to penetrate their hearts that they would turn from that, that they would repent. But if you are a professional victim, then your eyes are scaled. You can't see. Your heart is dull, and you can't hear And so I titled it, How to Care for the Professional Victim, and it is for you caregivers to interact. You need a way to think about them, to understand them, so that you can ultimately, by the grace of God, help them. And the primary thing that I would want to say to that professional victim, even though you are hurting, the Lord is calling you to a better life. He's calling you to a victorious life. And so let's talk about it. And you can print off this article. You can send the URL to anyone in text message, email. I would love for you to uh, sit down with someone. Perhaps you can use it as a homework assignment. Maybe it would help that way. Let's call this person Mabel. But the truth is, it doesn't matter who she is. You see, I'm not writing about a specific person. I really do not have anybody in my mind right now that I'm, I'm writing about. I'm just not. I could be writing about all of us because we all have played that victim card once or twice. At times, I can act the part of a professional victim. It's me, oh Lord. The overarching character trait of the victim mentality is a person who is upset, a person who is mad or bothered. And I'm talking about bothered over an extended period. I'm not talking about episodic disappointments. It starts with episodic disappointments, but eventually it's a pattern of disappointment. There's many disappointments that go over an extended period. And what this person is thinking is they they believe that they deserve better than what is happening to them in this moment, in this season. And that is the problem. Now, this attitude that I'm addressing here is not just an American problem. We could say it's an American problem, but that's not the most accurate way to think about it. This is a condition of being born in Adam. We all are susceptible to this. Ever since sin entered the world, 
We all have been affected in deceptive ways. The deceitfulness of sin is what the Hebrew writer called it. And one of the primary adverse effects of sin is this attitude that we deserve better than what life has provided. Now, I don't want you to jump into a ditch here. There's like always, there are ditches when we talk about different things. And one of the ditches is, is I'm not suggesting that you assume the role of a morbid fatalist, the person who must resign herself to a woe is me worldview. That kind of implication leaves the individual always looking at the floor while living in a twisted fear of the next bad thing that's going to happen to her. I'm not talking about that. This perplexing problem is not about resignation. The problem, what it's really about, is about stepping up to biblical reality. You know, some folks have popularized the saying, I'm doing better than I deserve. It's a mantra. It's catchy. It's kind of cliche. But it's also true. If you're a Christian, if God is your king, You are doing much better than you deserve. And I know some of you are going through some horrendous situations now, relationship trouble, for example. You write to me on your forum. You write to our team. We're talking to to you. We've been talking to you today, and I, I know that you're really struggling. But if God is your king. Now, even though God being your king and you are doing much better than you deserve, here's the rub. You're not going to get all the desires of your heart. We have to live in that tension. God is greater. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We are more than conquerors through him who died for us. We are victorious. We are seated in heavenly places, but we're not going to get everything that we desire, and that is the rub. In Hebrews 3.13, the writer says, I exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And you can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin if you can't live in this grace-centered tension of God being your king and not getting everything that you want. That's where the creeping disappointments of life will overcome you. And you will be hardened. And once you are hardened, one of the conditions that you can take on, one of the things that you can become is a professional victim. A victim mindset has bought into the deception of the devil. You remember from Genesis 3, 4, where the serpent said, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Questioning God's goodness. And that's what the professional victim does. They're not getting everything that they want. And and they begin to question God's goodness. We all succumb to the temptation of having more or wanting more than what God promised. The victim mindset does not want to live in the reality of God's word, where God's word does promise that you're not going to get everything that you want. You see, before there was Genesis 3-4, there was Genesis 2-17. In Genesis 2-17, it says, For in that day, or in the day that you eat, Of it, you shall surely die. 
There are some challenging, God-imposed realities in our lives. There are fences in our lives, and you look over that fence, and you see a better day, a better spouse, better children, a better life, and and God has imposed a reality in your life, an unchangeable circumstance. Think about Paul and his thorn in the flesh. And sometimes we don't want to live within those God-imposed realities. And if you're not careful, you will be overcome by the deceitfulness of sin. This truth is painful for the person with a victim worldview to accept. They have fully bought into the, quote, I deserve better than what I am getting attitude. And by the way, I deserve better than what I'm getting. Attitude is an impossible worldview in a cursed world. If victimization takes a dominating role in your mind, you will be, you'll be set up for ongoing and unending relational conflict. If you're unyielding in your stance, you will become a professional victim. You see, the professional victim peers through the lens of, quote, I am right, and you are wrong, and my views are non-negotiable. You can't talk to them. That is one of the reactions of being hardened by sin. It is a stubbornness that leaves those who try to care for the professional victim in a hopeless and helpless place. That's why I titled the article, How to Care for the Professional Victim. Perhaps you know this type of person and, and you need to know how to bring care to a most challenging situation. Anyone who gets within her sphere of observation will be critiqued. You'll be judged. You'll be sentenced according to her self-imposed standards. Her worldview says, you're not meeting my expectations. You're not meeting my desires. You're not catching up with my preferences here. Therefore, you're going to pay for what you did to me, end quote. And that's part of the attitude of the professional victim. I have a question for you. I'm curious. As you have been listening to me thus far in this podcast, who have you been thinking about? When you consider the victims in your world, who comes to your mind first there's only one right answer to my query. The one right answer is, is you. It is possible that you may be on the road to becoming a professional victim. No, I'm not trying to trick you here. I'm trying to help you. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. One of the fundamental characteristics of the professional victim is that she cannot see herself as being one. If something is wrong in her world, it is always outside of herself. She does not think of herself first, but on what others have done to her. That's why I ask you my curiosity question as you've been listening to the podcast thus far. Who have you been thinking about? Who you are and how you do and how you think or what someone has done to you. The first person you should think about is you. Now, I'm not saying that you're a victim. What I'm saying here is that you must always address your log before you go speck fishing. 
To think otherwise is to deny what Jesus asked you to do, to judge yourself before you judge others, which is one of those rare moments where you must put yourself before others. The podcast is about how to help the professional victim, but it would be great if one was listening to me now and God was so gracious to penetrate that barrier where they have ensconced themselves and help them to see that, hey, it is me. The log is in my eye. You see, whenever you think about sin, it's imperative that you always begin with a healthy, sobering, biblical self-assessment. You could say it like this, only by the grace of God am I different from anyone. You realize who you were before God saved you. Therefore, you naturally think of yourself first because you have this humble self-awareness. We are to look up at others, not down on them. The proud person looks down on others while the humble is always looking up to individuals no matter what their offenses are. The broken Christian realizes that that she is not a victim, but the recipient of God's sweet mercies. She practically understands what it means to be born from above. You see this attitude with the tax collector in Luke 18.13. It says the tax collector was standing far off and would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. You see, this kind of humble person realizes where God found her, and her heart is full of gratitude for his intervention in her life. This assertion about the temptation of succumbing to this idea of victimization is why I recanted earlier by saying that I'm writing about me. At times, I can act the part of a professional victim, I said. And while I could talk to you at length about many professional victims whom I have met through my counseling career, the one that I struggle with the most is me. And I pray to God that the the victim that you struggle the most with is you, and you do, if you have that log properly placed in your eye. There's hardly a day that goes by where I don't succumb to the role of the victim, It can be as simple as sitting at a busy intersection that is not allowing me to have my way. It happens most often with my wife. Because she is like me, a fellow sinner, there are always possibilities for us to misunderstand, miscommunicate, and miscalculate each other. And each time one of these mis-events happens in our marriage, I'm at that intersection of life again. What will I choose? How will I respond to my spouse? Will I choose to walk with the humble, realizing the redemptive opportunity that is before me? Will I choose the path of the proud, demanding my self-imposed and self-defined rights? These moments are big deals, and they happen more than you may realize The easiest and simplest way to assess yourself is by recounting those moments when your response to disappointment was not announced. Do you have those unannounced moments that come into your life that catch you off guard? That's what I'm talking about, and that's the best way to assess yourself as to whether you are a victim or not. I'm talking about being surprised by something that enters into your world unannounced. 
recently I started our vehicle and heard the engine struggling to turn over. I went on to my appointment and afterward I got in the vehicle and started it up, tried to, and it was even more sluggish than it was earlier that morning. It caused an immediate alteration of my day. It it didn't matter what I wanted to do for that day. Either my alternator or my battery was going to take me in a different direction. In this case, on that day with our vehicle, it was the battery. It reminds me of Proverbs 16, 9. It says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Therefore, it didn't matter what was on the docket that day. I was going to spend my afternoon with the mechanic. My day was not supposed to go this way. This is a micro-event. This one singular episodic micro-event is a picture of many events in the macro of my life. And yours is just like that. Change happens all the time. And some of those things, some of those changes are more disappointing than others. And it's in those moments when you're caught off guard, what comes out of your mouth? How do you respond to those disappointments? How you respond will communicate clearly whether you see yourself as a victim or a more than conqueror person. An evil response to disappointment is the beginning of the victim mindset. I honestly don't think most Christians realize how a simple grumble, a criticism, is a setup for a life of self-imposed misery. And the frustration of it all is that they never realize how it was self-imposed. Like the person who drinks a cup of of bitterness in every sip, they are poisoning themselves, choosing instead to see their disappointment as, as something that someone did to them rather than something that God is trying to do through them. They're looking outwardly, blaming someone else for what is wrong. All the while, these individuals incarcerate themselves to a, a life of miserable victimization This passage of scripture that I mentioned earlier in Hebrews 3, 7 through 15, we see the story of how this can happen. It's a gradual hardening of the heart when God brings things into your life, giving you an opportunity to respond to him biblically. And when you don't respond to him biblically, you will harden your heart. And after a while, you'll be not only blind, but you'll be blind to your own blindness and, and you'll be ensconced in that incarcerated place of self-victimization, self-imposed victimization. You'll become a professional victim. Let me share this passage with you, Hebrews 3, 7 through 15. It goes like this. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in the rebellion. That is really the key. If God is speaking to you right now, Don't harden your hearts like they did in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Your testing will come. And those micro events, they will come. They have come. You have experienced them. And it's in those moments where you need to hear God's voice so you do not harden your hearts. As he said on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. And because they hardened their hearts and would not respond biblically and humbly to God, 
Verse 10 says, Therefore I was provoked with that generation, and said they always go astray in their heart. Notice this going back to the heart over and over again. And then he says, They have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. The goal is to enter into rest, but you can't enter into peace with God. You can't have this rest. You can't have shalom if you won't hear his voice, if you, don't, if you won't respond biblically to the difficult things that come into your life. And so the writer says in verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, going back to the heart again, leading you to fall away from the living God. But here's an exhortation. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, here he is coming back to uh, what he started with in verse 7. In verse 15 it says, As it said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And so when trouble comes into your life, it's your opportunity to respond to God. If you do not respond to God, he will be in opposition to you because, as James says, he opposes the proud. And in that opposition, you will continue to harden yourself, and you will not enter into that rest. Do you note the seriousness of this passage? Can you feel it? Can you feel the warning? Do you see the problem? You could break it down like this. Here's a quick breakdown of what this passage is. What you see and how you see will determine what happens next. That's why he was saying today if you hear his voice. And so if you are given to a professional victim worldview mindset, if this is the day through this podcast that you're, you're sensing God working in your life through what you're hearing right now, it will determine what will happen next. If you do not hear... If you cannot perceive God working in your life, that too will determine what will happen next. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. A test will come into your life, and if you are not listening, you will respond sinfully to that test, which is, which is what he said in this text. They responded sinfully. They rebelled. And that that wrong response will put you in opposition to God. That reaction to God will keep you from the very thing that you long for, which is rest. Everybody is looking for peace, contentment, to enter into rest, shalom of the soul. But if you're not responding to the things that come into your life, if you're not responding biblically, humbly, correctly, you will be in opposition to God. And the root cause of this is an unbelieving heart. You'll not be able, you're not willing to trust God through the test. And in due process, you harden your heart because of the deceptiveness of sin. There is a challenge now with your relationship with Christ. And when that challenge comes, you compromise your relationship with Christ. And then you circle back around to the question Can you see what God sees? Will you respond? to the thing that's come into your life biblically, will you change your mind? There's a strong possibility a victim will listen to this podcast and not see what I'm saying. It will happen. The professional victim will listen to this podcast and may even give mental assent to some of the truths, but that person won't fall on their knees. 
They won't pray to God for mercy. They won't see themselves as a hard-hearted person who needs God's gracious forgiveness more than their desire to hold on to their unforgiveness for what others have done to them. They won't see that what they have done to Christ is exponentially worse to the tenth power more than all the horrible, all the real and objective and painful things that have happened to them. And as a result, they can't show mercy to others. Yes, can't. I know some of you would listen to that and say, don't you mean won't? They won't show mercy to others? No, they can't show mercy to others. They can't show mercy on another person who has disappointed them. And this truth is the frustrating part of the Hebrews passage. The heart is so hard to the point that the individual cannot perceive the right biblical response. That is the sobering response or the sobering effect of what the Hebrew is writing. They've hardened their hearts. Now, where does this leave you? Well, that circles back around to the primary point of this podcast. They can't see. And so how do you love? How do you care for? How do you help the professional victim? The title of the podcast. I want to leave you with 12 things. Number one, they're hurt. The person's hurt is legitimate. But it's not only legitimate to them, it's not only objective to them, it's real to God as well. People and life circumstances have hurt the professional victim. It is true. You don't marginalize this. You don't trivialize this. Be sensitive. Be careful. Be delicate. Weep with the person. Care for the person with tears. It is legitimate to the individual and it's legitimate to God. Be sensitive be careful. Number two, ask the Father to give you insight into how to help this person. You need wisdom. You need God's intervention in your life. As you listen to that Hebrews passage, it is obvious the heart in heart. You can't penetrate that. God can. Ask him to give you insight and clarity. Eliminate your mind. Number three, remember that the professional victim can't see what you see. Don't counsel them from your perspective, from your vantage point. You enter into their story, their narrative. They are like a baby bird in a nest with skin stretching over their eyes. They can't see, so you show mercy. Number one, the hurt is legitimate. Be sensitive. Number two, ask the Father to give you insight. Number three, remember they can't see what you see. Number four, pray for God to do for that person what you can't do. More than likely, you'll be condemned by them if you do something, and you will be condemned if you don't. These victim people will condemn you going and coming. Regardless of what you do, you will eventually feel their critique. And so pray to God to do what you cannot do. Number five, remember the individual is not rejecting you, but they are rejecting God. This issue is between them and God most of all, so don't take it personally. It's not about you primarily. Number six, don't engage the person to win an argument. You won't win. You're playing by two sets of rules, the victim's rules and your rules. And so competitive arguing will become confusing and it'll become an obstacle and there'll be more hurt if you try to engage. Thinking, reasoning will work. This is why so many of those other points talk about talking to God and getting God's uh, insight on the matter. Don't engage to win the argument. Number seven, guard your heart against sinning back. 
at this person. The individual is caught in sin, and they need your restorative care, not your frustration. Number eight. By the way, you can get this entire list uh, on the website. Go to rickthomas.net. Look for this article, How to Care for the Professional Victim, and you can pull up all these ideas that I'm sharing with you. Number eight, you can't help the person the way that they need help. God will have to penetrate their heart to bring the required change. Do not take on the role of a mini-messiah. You're not the Messiah. God is. Your job is to water and plant the best that you can and trust God to bring change. Number nine, there is a part of this person that does not want to get better. Sometimes a person's misery becomes a twisted form of security that keeps the person from coming out of their prison of hurt because they assume they will be hurt again. It's akin to an institutionalized convict where they're more comfortable on the inside of the prison than outside the prison. There's an element of security in a person's pain when they've been in it for so long. Number 10, their mind has been captivated by sin to the point where there's a stronghold that has the individual trapped. You can read my article here, How to Take Every Thought Captive, and that will help you to think through this idea of strongholds that's obviously in play here. Number 11, be sure to surround yourself with people who are wise with biblical sense. If you don't, you could slip into the victim's vortex of confusion to the point where you lose your spiritual bearings. And then finally, number 12, pray for the person. Pray for you. This situation is more significant than what you can accomplish. This relationship is a God job. Cooperate with him, not against him. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Again, how to care for the professional victim. If you have questions, jump on our website and ask Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.